Okay, okay, warm up, warm up. Episode 51, let's see if we can get it here. Dead in the middle of little, little, little did we know he riddled with some middlemen who didn't do diddly. Yeah, I'm ready. I've been through hard times too. The situation demands I bring the hard rhymes through. That's why I'm hard times too. Half past despicable. Last man to bring it through. Fast rap to critical stack. Analytical slap slap. I'm hitting you smack smack. I'm sticking you smack lip to stack tip. All with the lyrical tech. Welcome. This is the Lord Chief Rocka, number one Chief Rocka, founder and right now, today at least, the solo voice of Breakup Gaming Society coming to you from way south in Colorado. So far south that if I trip and stumble a few meters like out the wrong door of my house, I'll be in New Mexico. That's how, that's where I'm at. Here's something we, we can look forward to today. Uh, we are going to mix a cocktail of a liquor that I normally just abuse poured straight out of the bottle. I'm trying to not become completely feral and remember that there are people out there who enjoy cocktails and might like hearing about one. And also, a few episodes back, uh, Brendan Costello of At Unsheft kind of turned me back onto the possibility, you know, the possibilities of enjoying a, a good cocktail. So that's going to be coming up. Going to make a moonshine margarita. Then uh, we're going to talk f- about a game called Neuroshima Hex, which was a combat tile laying and area control game which really has legs, and it's come back onto my radar lately, and it reminded me that I actually have a long history with the first digital version of that game, and I haven't thought about it for a while. So I did think about it, and I wrote down some thoughts. That's going to be Game of the Week. Then Track of the Week, ah, boy, it's going to be Houdini. Probably the far and away, my most favorite Houdini track of all time for a number of reasons, which I'm going to explain because I always explain, because I find my reasons for things fascinating. Maybe you do too. But first, going to run a little ad for a show called Fuck My Work Life. It's a really nice couple who work in the corporate trenches and have made an audio space for all of us to commiserate about what happens to us there. And uh, there's going to be a brief ad for them coming up. They're really cool people, and also, heads up, they also just launched a second podcast. I think it's called Divided by a Common Tongue, where they get people who speak English from all parts of the world to talk about the ways our understanding, even though we you know, are purportedly all speaking English, where our understanding doesn't quite line up. Good folks, here comes the ad. Have you ever had a bad day at work? Well, the Fuck My Work Life podcast is perfect for you. Hosts J&K share listeners' entertaining stories from the workplace, which may have you thinking, you don't have it so bad after all. Find Fuck My Work Life on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you, J&K. May you fight long and well. All right, we're going to get into a little bit of Colorado-made liquor here for Drink of the Week. Drink of the Week. So way back... In episode five of this podcast, called The Fruits of Decay, I paid tribute to Nurgle, who is the plague god from the the Warhammer and Warhammer 40,000 universes. And the base of my tribute was Pikes Peak Hillshine, uh, that's made right um, right here in Colorado. And like most of the things I invent, it was stupid. I think 
it involved uh, hot sauce. I put habanero sauce in it and then rimmed the shot glasses with a bacon-flavored spray cheese, which actually didn't come out as bad as it sounded, but nonetheless, it makes me think that I would probably be a good like strategy use case for some social media brand manager. As in, how do you deal with a problem super fan? Just, you know, that's what I am. I will eat my hat collection. If there's anybody in the podcasting world who has espoused Pikes Peak Hillshine, made by your friends at the Axe and Oak Distillery in Colorado Springs, more passionately or irresponsibly than I have. So I'm doing partial penance tonight. Instead of sipping, then later shooting, it's straight. I've been like I have been for five years. Last night I made one of the cocktail recipes from their website. In this case, the spicy moonshine margarita. Made as follows with the following building blocks. One and a half ounces Pikes Peak Hillshine. Half ounce simple syrup. Half ounce orange liqueur of your choice. Thank you for that leeway. Ounce of lime juice. Shake and strain over ice. Garnish with a salt rim. Not too involved, so I gave it a whirl. And it was weird at first, because... Tasting this booze in a cocktail is like meeting an old friend with benefits, except this time they're dressed up in a, like an Elizabethan-era costume. I mean, I can just tell the pussy that I know and love is in there somewhere, but what's this? Makeup? A doublet? A frilled collar? But because I knew the base ingredient so well, it was also interesting to be able to detect the liquor and its properties laid over this entirely new sweet salt kaleidoscope. So long story short, I think I'm going to try it again, but with more lime, less sweet shit, and serve it up instead of over ice, because uh, frankly, pouring drinks over ice when it's 19 degrees out just feels fucked up to me. So that's the Axe and the Oaks Spicy Moonshine Margarita. That and more recipes are available at axeandtheoak.com forward slash forward slash recipes and if it wasn't obvious by now I am being paid not being paid for any of this although perhaps I should be Game of the Week One of the most fun conversations I ever had on Reddit in the early days of the now burgeoning board games community there when it was growing and fun and not yet quite under the complete control of what, in my view, were mods who overtended the garden. I was talking with another Redditor about the race car classic board game, which Formula D, which lets up to eight players at a time use six different die, representing your gears, to push their luck across three laps. I thought the game was a rip, but this guy I was talking to collabed with his group to add narrative tissue that connected their individual races. They made a league of sorts with drivers and standings that carried through game to game over long seasons of racing. It was a validating moment that I forgot until I recently saw board game TikToker Danielle Standring feature a Nurashima Hex app and learned that the mobile version had been rebooted by another developer. It was a flood of memory. The last time I looked at the several spreadsheets I used to track my play, around 2013 or so, I had logged more than 12,000 plays of the game on the original and no longer supported app from, uh, I think it was Big Daddy Creations. I've probably spent more time playing Nurashima Hex than I have playing any other game in my life. 
and I haven't even thought about it in 10 years. And my record-keeping was in support of a parallel narrative that I used to satisfy the part of my mind that wanted to make sense of the game's world in another way. So, what the heck is Nourishima Hex? Uh, it's a Polish-designed uh, game. Uh, fu- futuristic combat on a grid of hexagonal tiles where you've got these squads of terrifying armies. Uh, humans, mutants, killer AIs, and lots of other flavors. Uh, duke it out in the rubble after an apocalypse. And uh, each player has an HQ t- tile with 20 hit points and a faction-specific stack of action tiles and units with all so- sorts of uh, specialties. Mobility, armor, range or melee, high initiative for first strike, and you'd place them all on the grid and execute your actions. Now, I've never been an aggressive player by nature. Playing against the eh, AI instead of a human kind of a relaxed me. Plus, there's nowhere to really hide on the board. It can quickly get tight in, in a few rounds um, if some time passes without somebody playing a battle action. And you were rewarded for adopting a general patent mindset. Offense, offense, offense. You just pressure that enemy HQ with everything you got every every second you can. Who, who, um, whichever player has the most hit points when the tiles run out or you've reduced your opponent's HQ to zero health is the winner. Now, there were a lot of clockwork touches that made it so great, but over time I enjoyed how they kept adding crazy new factions onto the Cardinal Four starter factions, each with a different mix of commands and units and their own playstyle. I played and enjoyed the wrinkles on almost all of them, with the exception of Doomsday Machine. One day I was playing against the AI, which was running Doomsday Machine, which is one of the killer robot factions, and their stock and trade was using relay units to redirect ranged shots all over the board, and we were approaching what I thought was the midpoint of the game, but then was informed that my HQ was destroyed by something, something called an infinite fire loop. I found this appalling and never used the faction again. But I had a good long run with the Outpost, the Hegemony, Moloch, Borgo, Steel Police, Neo Jungle, Smart, those rat dudes who have mortars, and those other MFers that uh, poisoned your units. And on top of this, I laid a second story of unrelated narrative. I'm not sure when I started doing it, but at some point the storytelling lobe part of my brain, once the other part of my brain decided I was good at you know, uh, enough at the base game to start embellishing. Uh, imagined it as um, I needed a weirder kind of verisimilitude, some extra imaginative layer to, to make it, my frankly, my addiction to the game, have, you know, have longevity. The arena didn't evoke close quarter squad warf- warfare in the rubble for me somehow. So I wrapped this bigger, weirder story around it and I reimagined it as a high-stakes holographic projection in an arena. Instead of it being actual killbots and chain-swinging mutants duking it out in the rubble, it was an arena sport where the HQ tiles were the location of human operators of the projected combatants, who needed a kind of super-concentration or quasi-psychic talent to manipulate and summon the chillingly rendered units around them. If you were in the audience watching it, it would look like you know, one of these uh, post-apocalyptic battles are actually happening, happening them. And you could see the operator, your, the fighter, if you would, in the middle, you know, standing uh, on the HQ tile, directing 
and being hurt by things that happen around them. It was a blood sport, and when I started doing it, the game got more addictive for me. And I added layers. I had an assembly line character generation system, because my people got killed a lot, for determining their names, countries of origin, basic character traits. This had no impact on play, but it helped me get invested in them. And even sci-fi apocalyptic soldier images I would use to ID them, uh, give them little avatars on the six-person teams in my spreadsheet. I had worked out how many death matches were in a season, what winning percentage was required to enter a Final Four-type elimination bracket as a team, and what would happen to a character who got the donut. That is, not only losing, but having their HQ's hit points knocked down to zero, which delivered a psychic shock that could either kill them, neurologically fry them, or simply force them into a carefully considered retirement. I tracked their win-lose rates and how many people they'd put in the grave and became crestfallen when I'd play too many games in a row, get sloppy, and lose one of my superstars. If I projected one consistent trait onto my stable of fighters, it's that they would risk almost anything to stay active in the arena. In retrospect, mechanically, it's still one of the finest games I've played. I'd recommend it to anybody who likes a tight combat game with a bunch of imaginatively designed and well-balanced factions. That was my story. Yours may be different. Next, Starving. relax and take a seat. Sit okay. back and play the beats and blast it in your Jeep. It's the track of the week. I'm ratchet in the streets. Talk trash to the geeks. Get smacked in the beat. It's the track of the week. So one of the many things that I cherish about the hip-hop made between, you know, around 86 to 88 is that it was kind of de rigueur for when you put out an album to have one crew or DJ brag record on there. Usually the track would be dedicated to the DJ who had put in a workout. Sometimes you'd let the crew pound their chest a little bit too about where they're from and what they mean to the game, etc., etc. My education in this kind of record came at first primarily from a Jive Records compilation that they used to put out called Battle of the DJs. And it was there that I first heard um, Now That Houdini's Inside the Joint by, of course, Houdini. By 1987, they uh, had just released the last record they'd ever do for Jive. And, of course, the new school with the big chains and the Kangles were definitely the face of rap. And they were, you know, a, a setting sun. But I love this track for for a bunch of reasons, not least of which is that it kind of seems to be a bridge between the old school and the new school, like all in one song. It has a really irresistible beat, and it has also a lot of the instrumentation that you remember making the landscape of an old school song, that kind of use of synthesizers and keyboards, funk guitar and or bass. Except here, the beat's a little more prominent, like they've taken a few notes from Run DMC, and the um, instrumentation, like the, the bass of the thing, it's dropped more in stabs and flourishes than being the whole track. And even though to my young stoned ears, it's kind of sounded old-fashioned, I would end up playing it again and again. Because just the way it drops and builds at the beginning, well, here's Exhibit A. Who goes there? Brooklyn moving up again this year.
I don't care what era you're a fan of. That is some beautiful beat making. And all throughout, the track is peppered with fun little synthesizer riffs or stabs and samples of this and that. It's just a big glittery toy box over which Grandmaster D, the DJ, and Jalil and Ecstasy all get to talk a little shit Muhammad Ali style. Yeah, put that in your resume. Try that one in a job interview. I am the dream you had last night, but could not understand. And there's a lot of tiny touches and fun buildups and breakdowns in this song, and I'd like to show them all to you, but I'm hoping I've showed you enough to make you want to go hear it for yourself. But let's talk about the fade out, because they they let you know Grandmaster D work out, and you get this citrusy explosion of uh, Got to Be Real by um, uh, Cheryl Lynn. And, and then Grandmaster D just tears up the damn record. And I thought this had come out earlier than it was because parts of this sure as hell sound like a Transformer scratch to me, but in either case, it's fun as hell. on vinyl it's mother's milk so this was my admittedly inadequate attempt to show you pieces of the whole that is now that Houdini's inside the joint by Houdini off open sesame 1987 Jive Records that's it this is the end of episode 51 I've been your host the Lord Chief Rocker number one Chief Rocker thanking you for riding along with me and indulging me in my many tangents. Come by the blog, breakupgamingsociety.com, read some stuff. And next episode, I'm going to return to a couple of games I touched on, but want to play more deeply and want to get a second look at. It's one of the nice parts about being a small podcast. No one's on the edge of their seat waiting for my next shit to come out. Do it when something gestates, when it feels right. Till then, may you fight long and well.